0: Well, Venom and Carnage are hot right now, but I'm sure Dazzler One's going to explode any minute now. How do I know when to buy and when to sell? We'll give you some tips this week. Hello and welcome to Bronze and Modern Gods. I am John, and as always, I am joined by my best buddy, Richard Brown. Hey, I got hey, it right. You got it right that time.
1: Awesome. Yeah. Hi, John. How are you doing?
0: I'm all right, you know. Uh, it's it's nice to be back. Uh, I, I a lot has gone on uh, in the community. Uh, lots of live sales happening. Lots of uh, stores reopening. I won't even mention DC Comics and Diamond.
1: Oops. Uh, oh yeah, yeah.
0: I did. Oh well. You did. You know, what are we're you gonna, gonna
1: do? We're gonna talk about that.
0: Uh, you know. I think everybody else is talking about it, so we can stick to what we know best. <laughs> Which is not, probably smart. That's probably <laughs> smart. <laughs> which is not being a retailer. Uh, before. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind everybody please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bronze and Modern Gods on both. And if you're watching this on YouTube, give us a like and subscribe. We'll love you for it. And if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast platform, leave us a quick review on that as well. We love you. And this week we're talking about stocks well kind of when to buy when to sell your comment Uh, if you are an investor if you are one of those collectors that likes to flip things and do things we're going to talk about that today some things we've learned some things we've learned the hard way and uh, we will hit all that but first we're going to talk about the hot bronze age book of the week So, Richard, I have to tell you, I came into this one super cynical, Uh, (laughs) and then I did a little research, and I was kind of like, okay, maybe it's not as bad as I thought it was. So, we're talking about Special Marvel Edition number 15, the first appearance of Shang-Chi, the Master of Kung Fu. This book is somewhat on fire right now because of the uh, upcoming movie that's coming from the MCU, and... I just know stories from years and years of collecting about just warehouse warehouses full of this book being discovered, um, where they just found some old distributors' warehouses that just had stacks and stacks of this book, and of course, you know, there's tons of in my mind, there's tons of copies out there, and so I kind of said to Rich when we were talking about. What we're we going to talk about this week is like, I'm going to tell everybody the truth about special <laughs> Marvel Edition 15, the dirty truth. Uh, because, well, right now, the 90 day GPA on this book it, for a 9.8 is $4,600. I mean, wow. Wow. that's nothing to sneeze at.
1: No, definitely.
0: And, you know, I, I know people hoard this book. I know there's plenty of full supply. If you go on Instagram, you'll see people, or even the old CGC forums, You'll see people posting like, here's my special Marvel edition 15 hoard. And they'll have multiple pictures of like slabs and slabs and slabs of this book. And then I thought, you know what, before I dig my heels in and I tell everybody that this is not a good buy, I better look at the CGC census. There are just 94 9.8s on the census. Wow. Wow.
1: That's very, very reasonable
0: so while this book may be plentiful in 9.0 and above and believe me it really is 9.8 is genuinely a scarcer title uh, it has a black cover it picks up every imperfection and you know it kind of goes back to that thing that we talk about a lot on this podcast where some of these books like eternals and things like that that are super hot now were quarter box books Fodder and dollar box bin stuff for years and years. So, not a lot of high grade copies have survived. And, you know, Master of Kung Fu was a book that ran 125 issues. It ran all through the Bronze Age into the Copper Age. It was very critically acclaimed. It was never a a big seller, but it wasn't, you know, uh, Spider Man print run type book. It was really on the lower tier of the Marvel uh, books that were coming out in the 70s and, and early 80s. So, you know, there's not a lot of high grade copies of 15. I, mea culpa, I came in <laughs> with, you know, an agenda and doing a little research, you know, that's why we do the research. We learn things and I learn things. So, okay, I'm not going to trash this book this week. Yeah, but I, I think your concern was justified. I
1: mean, there is there is a history of certain titles um, find people finding back stock in old warehouses uh, in, in, in mint condition, because they're still sitting in the boxes that they were in 30 years ago. Um, there, there, are, there are certain titles that definitely have a large number of found issues in great condition. And it's a, it's a concern when you're looking at those
0: higher end books. What's good is if you go on to, and I'm going to try to find a link and put it in the description uh, if it's still up, um, Mile High Comics' old blog where Chuck, the owner and founder, talks about things, You know, finding the Mile High collection, finding the Mile High 2 collection. He talks about going into a warehouse that was literally stacked up to the ceiling of the warehouse with comic books, and there was so little room to move, they were walking on stacks of comic books in order to go through and start inventorying books. And this was one of those books that was in those multiple warehouse finds. So I did come in, you know, with an attitude.
1: Now with the facts, you, you know, better.
0: I know. Sorry. Okay. So go buy a 9.8 if you want to. I don't care. Do what you like. No, uh, just, just know that there, it's not like Spider-Man 300 where there's a, you know, I don't know if the number off the top of my head, but like a thousand This right. is a, Right. First book at nine point eight,
1: so yeah, and, and the, the ratio between the nine point eight and and the other grades are is a significantly small number. uh You know that small ratio means that there's there's value in that book.
0: It's a hockey stick. Nine point sixes are going for about fourteen to sixteen hundred. So for that to go three thousand dollars up for a two. 0.2 uh, bump is nothing to sneeze at so if no. you see one and you think it's gonna be uh hold its value go for it but that's what we're going to talk about right now it's our main topic is when to buy these books and when to sell them and this is a perfect example of one of those things and that is movie hype richard you want to tell people about movie hype yeah, there's there is
1: always a, a spike as as news comes out. Uh, the the internet is always always ablaze with news from Kevin Feige and Marvel or from DC about properties that are being optioned or uh, movies are going to, are, are starting to shoot. And when those things happen, the books that are around those those topics, let's say uh, Submariner, for example, the value of those books increase as the news comes, comes out and we get closer to either a reveal of a movie or mm-hmm. a movie is announced or more significantly when the trailer first comes out for that movie. Uh, you'll see huge increases in certain titles based on that information.
0: One thing I've found with movie hype is, you know, a lot of people start looking for those first appearances of all the characters that are going to be in the movie. And let's use the Eternals as a, a great example. So here's what we know about the Eternals movie coming. We know it's going to have the Eternals. So number one, the first appearance of the Eternals, obviously a key book. We know it's going to have Cersei in it. So Eternals number three for Cersei is a key book. We know it's going to have Druig in it. Um, I'm not sure what the first appearance of Druig is. I think it's number 12. That's a hot book. And for some reason, it's going to have the Black Knight in it. Okay. I don't fine. understand that. Sure, uh, I'm not writing it, but okay. So you see these <laughs> books catch on fire, and so one thing that people do is they they grab the books, these first appearances, these keys, and they wait for that first trailer to drop. I and mm-hmm. I, in my experience, when that when the announcement's made, you got you've got these peaks. The announcement's made, everybody goes crazy for the book. eBay, the entire inventory disappears overnight. Uh, You start seeing people pressing and flipping. And then the trailer drops and you see a lot of people all of a sudden selling and a lot of people in a frenzy to buy. There's not enough inventory, so that's another peak. And then when the movie opens, the week the movie opens, you see another lack of inventory, you see another feeding frenzy for the book. Mm -hmm. Then the movie opens. What happens after that? Let's talk about the first appearance of Carol Danvers. <laughs> Let's talk about Ms. Marvel number
1: one. Yeah, uh, you know, it, to me, if you if you wait until the movie actually is in theaters, you've waited too long. There's you've got to ride that crest and uh, uh, not be on the bottom side of it. Uh, by the time the movie comes out, regardless of the movie is successful or not, really, um, that 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 wave of, you know, the fear of missing out FOMO uh, has, has passed and those peak values, those peak prices that you can get for that book are going to settle down to something more reasonable. And then as the movie goes through its normal life cycle, we'll, will start to trail off, you know, as you mentioned, Carol Danville's miss, miss Marvel. She had a a tremendous drop once the movie came out. Um, so and it was you, a good you, movie and it still happened. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, 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 to me, the, the best time to sell is right that week, right when the first trailer comes out, where people are really starting to see, okay, this is really a thing. And here are the characters in this thing. Mm-hmm. And I need to get those characters. But that's the perfect time to, to, um, to take your books that you have, you've, you've hoarded at that point and then release
0: them to the market and, and maximize your profits that way. And I also think oh, one thing you have to decide is what are you doing? Look, look in the mirror. Take a cold, hard look at yourself. Am I getting these for my personal collection, or am I getting these to flip and sell? Flip and sell, go with it. Just make sure you're 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 doing doing it smart. You're you're buying low and you're selling high, just like stocks. If it's for your personal collection, try to get in as early as you can. Don't put it off. I'm doing that right now. Uh, to bring back one of our favorites here on the podcast, Quasar. <laughs> I love this Quasar. Sorry, folks. Um, I'm making sure that I have Cap 217, which is the first Wendell Vaughn as Marvel Man slash Quasar. I'm getting Incredible Hulk 234, which is the first time he calls himself Quasar. I'm getting these books now, so if he right. does appear in you know the next Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm not going to be left out in the cold, paying way, way over inflated prices, which is already happening. People are already speculating Quasar is going to appear in this movie. So I got a lot of competition trying to get high grade copies of these two books that were just ice cold five years ago. Right. You, you,
1: kind of, you kind of had to look ahead, you know, skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it is. Um, for example, two years ago, I started buying up, uh, ultimate fallout Four. I'm a big miles Morales fan and, and it just made logical sense to me to collect those books. And then I noticed it's that. I, yeah. And, and, you know, um, it turned out I was able to buy second prints for 4 to $8 a piece back then because they just had not hit that that sweet spot yet in terms of the market. So I ended up with a, a large number of them. And uh, and this past month, we've seen this massive increase. And I'm still trying to figure out why, besides the fact they were undervalued all this time. A uh, massive increase in ultimate Fallout 4 value. Uh, I, I had sent in 10 of uh, the second prints, um, late last month between the time that I sent them out and the time that I, I got them back, their value had almost tripled. It's, it's crazy. It's, amazing. it's, it's, it's insane. So, uh, yeah, you, you can't, you, you can't buy the hot books that are out there to now. You need to find the books that are going to be hot in the future, near future or far future, depending on what your strategies are. But, uh, yeah, that's one of the things you have to be careful of in, uh, in my opinion, something called FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, Ultimate Fallout's hot right now, so you you think, geez, I, I have to go out and get a copy of Ultimate Fallout 4. Um, it's not the time to do it, to be honest with you right now. Now is not the time to go and buy. I would wait. Um, the values are going to settle at some point, and then then on the on that curve, get going down. If you're looking data for your PC, buy it then. Um, same thing with Peach Momoko. Peach Momoko is an artist uh, that does some incredible covers uh, for Marvel and DC and some independents. Uh, She has uh, covers, variant covers that are coming out, it seems like almost weekly. And there's this feeding frenzy for uh, people to go out and buy these books. They sell out immediately on the day they're released. And then almost immediately they're up on eBay selling for twice, three times their value. And people are buying them up because they're afraid, oh, I missed the initial offering. I need to buy them now because um, otherwise I'm going to miss out. And what they don't realize, if they just wait a month, two months, more than likely those books are going to either settle in price or decrease in price because of the trends for for those those store variants. Unfortunately, they don't hold their value as as well as um, uh,
0: other key books. And talk about FOMO. Miles Morales, while I love the character, I, you know, I never was a big Spider-Man collector. I wasn't a huge Miles Morales fan, but now for some reason I won an Ultimate <laughs> Four, and I have no idea why. It's just, it's weird how psychologically it gets in your head. It does.
1: It does. It's it's crazy. And uh, and I think you know what feeds into this also. I talked briefly about variant covers. Uh, there are a number of stores that produce. All they have to do is get contact an artist have an artist commission a a, a cover, they can then uh, produce a thousand, two thousand, whatever the number they want uh, of a particular issue, Gwen Stacy number two or Spider-Man number one, whichever, it's now branded by that store and it's got that specific cover by that artist and there's a limited quantity of them, less than the, the normal print run of that particular title and depending on the artist and depending on the title, like for example, recently there was a, Peach Momoko again, Yoda cover uh, by Frankie's Comics, one of my favorite comic shops. Um, it sold out immediately, and it has had a tremendous creep up in in the secondary market. eBay sold for twenty dollars on on Frankie's site. On wow. eBay, it's going for one hundred and twenty-five. Uh, and it's only been out uh, a little over a week. Uh, it's it's wow. crazy that 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 kind of demand is generated. Uh, and that uh, again, fear of missing out. People are are afraid that they're they're going to miss on the, on the next, you know, Harley Quinn um, uh, cover, and so they're it's- out there buying.
0: It is a bit of like uh, feeding chum to sharks right now, which is a good thing for the industry, I guess, and for fandom, because like this week, Marvel action number 10, a kid's title uh, (laughs) that, you know, no one's ever given two hoots about all of a sudden is like one of the hottest books out there because there is a yellow Hulk. They haven't announced they're doing anything with a yellow Hulk. They just have a yellow Hulk as part of an aim storyline. But people are just like nuts. Where's my uh, Marvel action 10? Why do people I mean?
1: <laughs> People don't have their normal new comics coming in right now. They're still trickling in. Uh and people have uh their stimulus money, which is I think has really helped keep the comic industry above water because people have that $1200 if they don't spend it on uh their their personal finances, they it's there available to them to to buy comics. So I think some of the some of the the purchases and some of the the uh trends are 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 or pushed by that
0: extra money. And you cannot minimize the psychological component of missing out FOMO on something because I want a Marvel Action 10 too. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm not a Hulk guy. I'm a Cap guy. I'm a Quasar guy. We know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So let's tell people what we've learned from our 365 years uh, combined experience <laughs> in collecting uh, about how to buy and how to sell. Now, if you're buying, we have some suggestions. Rich, take yeah. it away.
1: Yeah. First of all, uh, something you should do right now is to sit down and make a list of the top 10 comics that you want to own by the end of 2020. Put them in a particular order that you, of, of your preference. Uh, and whenever you go to buy something, think, is the book that I'm buying, I want to buy a, a, a Cap, Cap 100. That's on my list. Is this... Random Peach Bomoco cover moving me towards the direction of having that cap 100? Or is it just something that I want because it's in front of me now and it's shiny? Um, if you have that list, you have goals, and those goals will, will help drive your purchases and keep you on track so that at the end of 2020, you can look back and say, I hit these key goals. I hit these key comics in my collection, and I'm satisfied because I managed those those goals, as opposed to looking back and saying, I spent money on random stuff throughout the whole year and have nothing really to show for it.
0: It would not be a Bronze and Modern Gods podcast if I did not mention Susie Orman. Now- <laughs> Susie Orman, (laughs) thank you to to create a spreadsheet of every single one of your expenses and your debts, and everything from your cable bill to food and gasoline for the week, everything, and then versus what you are bringing in. And it's it's a hard thing to force yourself to do because it's eye opening. It's scary, and we and we kind of like operating from a a place of ignorance a lot of times because it makes us feel better. We don't have to worry about it. But when you see it on a spreadsheet in front of you in uh, uh, black and white or whatever a CRT would be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really stares you in the face and making a top 10 list of your actual wants is the same thing. It's scary to some people. It's scary to me. And I feel very attacked that you use cap 100 as an example. (laughs) It's, you know, I'm looking for that book. So it is a great exercise because you then are forced to focus and not to say you can't buy your peach momoko, but are you going to flip it and make a profit so you can put it towards that top 10 list? Great. Uh, also, you know, these aren't rules. This is fun. It's a hobby. Do whatever the hell you want to do. But we're just telling you, if you want to really focus, these are. this is a great exercise. And it's such an obvious thing to do, but we don't do it because we're scared. It, we, we love just like walking into a show when there's a show and saying, I'm just going to look at all the stuff. Richard, you went to the California Comic-Con in January with me. You had a goal. You wanted one yes. book and one book only. You wanted a Fantastic Four number five, first Doctor Doom. And I got to tell you, you you focused like a laser on this thing. And what did you <laughs> walk away from the show with? With my Fantastic Four number five.
1: Yeah, it took it took the entire show, two days, of me asking every single booth and talking to every single person and i have to give a shout out to golden age guru he actually turned me on to the guy who had the one copy it seemed like in the entire show and he wasn't
0: even a dealer
1: at the show he wasn't he was just walking by and he just just yanked him out of the crowd and uh he happened to have the grade that i wanted for the amount that i wanted to pay it was meant to be but they definitely, I walked away satisfied from that show. You know, I I I managed to snag one of those top ten books and crossed it off my list, and it was it was a good feeling.
0: Versus me, who goes with Richard and just says la 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 la. I don't know what I want. I that looks cool. What I I kind of want a uh, uh, Kent Black of the uh, Secret Service Atlas comic from nineteen fifty four number six. Or Kent Blake, that's what it's called. <laughs> like, why? I don't know. But I did focus and I did get my journey into Mystery Annual you number did. 1, first Hercules, 8.0. Thank you very much. Um, and now I find out this week that that is a huge spec book because people think Hercules is going to be in the next Thor movie. And I'm like, woo, thank God I got it now.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, so speaking of which, you know, we have some suggestions on selling. When to sell. Why don't you go through those? Yeah, selling is, uh,
1: first of all, you know, you've bought these books and you've you've prepped these books and you know you're hoarding them, you know, like a dwarf under the you know a mountain. And it comes time, the opportunity <laughs> go under a bridge. order <laughs> <go> <laughs> a bridge. Uh, the opportunity comes forth. Don't be afraid to sell. Uh, uh, there's always going to be uh, other prices that these books are going to go for. So you know, if, let's say you bought the book for fifty dollars. There's an opportunity to sell the book for two hundred dollars. Uh, don't pass up that opportunity because you're waiting for $300. Mm-hmm. Uh, sell that book, take the money that you've made from that book, and then use it to invest in other books. Um, that, that bird in the hand definitely is better than, than the one in the bush. Also, be careful about when you're listing a book or you're selling a book, your competition. Mm-hmm. In some titles, there may be, if you're selling, for example, An Amazing Spider-Man 238, First Hop Goblin, there may be 30 other books out there uh, for that particular title, and that's going to really dilute the the buyer pool. There's buyers going to have so many choices that it may not be a good time to sell that book. Looking at your competition, if if your competition is priced lower than where you want to be, uh, and you're not going to make a profit because remember, remember those eBay fees that you're selling mm-hmm. on eBay, for example, then you know hold off. Wait until that, until those books sell off. The books b- below your threshold and then list the books when it's more favorable to you. So keep an eye on your competition and on the market and and the market prices and you'll do good.
0: And can I be everybody's dad for a second if you're under 30 or even under 35? I have sold my entire comic book collection twice in my life and I've had to do that for economic reasons. I was in college the first time, I needed a new car, I had rent. I was living on my own. I was just out of the army and I had forty five long boxes. And guess what I did? I sold every single book for pennies on the dollar. but, I got a brand new truck out of it. I was able to finish college, everything. It was great. And so I started collecting again. And I even opened a comic book store at that point there where Richard was one of my customers and I amassed a huge collection again. And then I had the opportunity to move to Southern California and take a really good job doing what I love, what I love to do. And I had to come up with the money to move. Guess what I did? I had to sell all my books again. So you know, look at reality. I, I hate to bring everybody down on a comic book podcast about the fun <laughs> of the hobby, but if you're broke and you need to sell your books, that's kind of why you bought them. You keep telling all your friends and families these are good investments. These was one day I'm gonna sell all these. Well, guess what? If one day comes, it's here. You know, if you if you're If you got furloughed from COVID-19 and you're having trouble making things meet, open up that eBay store, start that IG account. You know, you've got, you've got a flow. And that's why I've always loved this hobby. Not only do I love the books, do I love the art form? Do I love the creators? I love the fact that if something happens, I got something to fall back on, believe it or not. And nothing is
1: irreplaceable. Well, well, most things are not irreplaceable in your collection. Uh, That, that uh, Fantastic Four, number five, I could sell tomorrow, make a profit, and then in the future, I may my situation may change and I could buy another one. Um, these books are mass-produced, so unless Do you know how many
0: Avengers fours like, I've owned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, mean, I have, I've owned plenty, and I can own another one again. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm just agreeing with you. This is this, you know, life is important.
1: Right, right. Comic books are are things that can be replaced. So don't be afraid if an, an opportunity comes up, you need the money, uh, or if you want to sell certain books to buy another book, um, don't be afraid of, of, of doing that kind of uh, of trade of resources for one thing for another, or even trade books. That's something else that we haven't really talked about. I I happen to trade a, um, a Hulk 181 for the Fantastic Four number four that's on the wall there. Um, it, there's always different ways that you can manipulate your your collection uh, to your advantage. Don't be afraid of any of them.
0: Exactly. Okay. So dad mode is now turned off. Pretend I'm, I'm tossling your hair and saying, okay, go <laughs> on, get, get out of here. Uh, go have fun. And speaking of fun, I, I think we have to talk about our shirts of the week. Uh, yeah. We yeah. Why don't you show everybody uh, your comic book shirt, your nerd shirt of the week?
1: My nerd shirt of the week is...
0: Where are you getting these?
1: <laughs> Avenger 196. Yeah, uh, this is great. This is a great shirt. Taskmaster. He's uh, going to be in the new Black Widow movie whenever that comes out.
0: Are you actually using your press to uh, press sh- t-shirts? That's <laughs> that's
1: that's coming. That's coming. No, I, <laughs> I have a secret. <laughs> I have a secret source for these shirts.
0: I can see that. Okay, <laughs> fine. Don't share with the group. Create FOMO. Uh, my shirt this week is howard and it is howard for president that's all i'm gonna say about that <laughs> so, love Howard. love howard if i could vote for anybody for president this year it would be howard the duck <laughs> all right so um let's talk about our uh artist spotlight this week uh one that i picked because i love this guy so much um he is probably my number three after Kirby and Kane, uh, and that is John Ramita Sr. Uh, John Ramita Sr. was one of the uh, early architects of the Marvel Universe, came on a little later than uh, Ditko and Kirby and boy did he make a splash he was actually a romance artist for dc throughout the 50s he did captain america in the 50s as well when the three issue run for atlas he was the primary artist and it was really kind of a scratchy milk canif uh kind of style and then when he returned in the 60s he had a super slick polished professional look that was honed by doing all those believe it or not romance comics that he was doing uh and he took over Amazing Spider-Man from Steve Ditko when Ditko famously uh, skedaddled after issue 36 uh, or 37, whichever it was. And you look at these first uh, Romita issues of Amazing Spider-Man. You can kind of see him trying to imitate Steve Ditko quite a bit in the inking, especially in some of the poses. And it's just beautiful. He kind of found his own, uh, his own voice on that book known for drawing just the most gorgeous women. He was the first person to draw Mary Jane Watson, who is who had previously appeared in shadows at that point, uh, created and drew uh, or not created, but drew Gwen Stacy that, uh, immortal Gwen Stacy with the headband that she's still wearing in 2020. Yes,
1: yes she is.
0: Can you wash that headband, Gwen? I'm sure it's like, <laughs> it's got a ring. But, uh, then, after years of doing uh, Spider Man, he kind of transitioned into being the art director for Marvel throughout the 70s and most of the 80s. And it was just beautiful stuff. He was inking a lot of Gil Kane covers at the time. He was doing his own covers. He had a great run that my, my personal favorite is he had a quick run on Captain America in the very early 70s. That is just beautiful. He was drawing, he was penciling and inking it himself. It was gorgeous. And then he continued doing just these iconic covers uh, for Marvel, especially on Captain America, which is the book I grew up with. He was inking Kirby on the covers. He was inking Gil Kane. He was redrawing a lot of faces to make them on model, which, you know, kind of rankles people, especially in the Gil Kane Facebook group. Every time there's a Kane Romita cover, people always leave comments like, another one that Romita ruined. And I'm like, <laughs> I think it looks good. Uh, But that is our artist of the week, Uh, you know, uh, what's your experience with Ramita's art, Richard? Oh, he's done some of the the, my
1: favorite uh, Spider-Man covers, Uh, number 50, for example, with those beautiful reds, that deep, deep red cover that I no one no one else has duplicated that that particular artistry. He did um, the first Rhino. That's one of my favorite covers. Uh, Spider-Man 238, the first Hobgoblin,
0: yeah.
1: uh, Spider-Man 100, the, 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 the list goes on. And when you think of, at least to me, when you think of Spider-Man, you think of John Romita and his his long run and his the mark and stamp that he put on that title.
0: It was beautiful, and he was also the first artist on the Amazing Spider-Man strip. And it showed, I mean, that's kind of what people expected that book to, or that character to look like. So for it to reach a mass audience through newspapers, uh, Romita was really an important part of that. And, you know, um, Ditko had his style of his own where it was quirky and strange and Spider-Man was kind of creepy. And yeah. <laughs> Ramita kind of ended off the rough edges, right? Made it super right. and accessible. Spider-Man was kind of boneless in certain positions and yeah, it, he was great. And he was one of the the greats of Marvel and he's missed. So uh, we love you, John Ramita. So let's move on to the underrated book of the week. Speaking of Spider-Man. My underrated book of the week is Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider Man, number one. Now, again, knowing my rants about huge print runs and books that are not scarce, why would I call this book underrated? Well, just for that very reason. Uh, I think it is very underrated in the fact that it was the first new solo Spider Man title ever. After amazing Spider-Man, you know, you had Marvel team up as a Spider-Man title, but you always had to deal with like the son of Satan or someone, you know, (laughs) so in 1976, uh, Gary Conway and Buscema launched Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man as a series. And so it was kind of a mind blower to have two brand new ongoing Spider-Man books at the same time. And for an eight year old kid, this was a big deal. Whoa, there's another Spider-Man number one, one that I can actually get on the ground floor of and buy and get every single issue. And it was, uh, it was kind of an event back then. And it was a long running book. It lasted 264 issues from 1976 to 1998. Uh, the original focus, the reason why it was called Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man is it was supposed to focus on Peter Parker's personal life more than the amazing Spider-Man title and the supporting cast that kind of went out the window the minute Gary Conway went over to DC. So it just mm-hmm. became another Spider-Man book. But there are some key issues in this run that you, you might want to look out for. Uh, number 27 and 28, are the first time Frank Miller ever drew Daredevil. Um, number 64 is the first appearance of Cloak and Dagger. And I got to give a shout out to my my pal Sal. Sal Buscema drew over 100 issues of that 260 some odd issue run, which is a Herculean feat. And a personal favorite of mine, he was a solid storyteller. He was never flashy, but you you never had to kind of figure out what was going on in the story because it was very clear storytelling. And uh, if you look in the uh, early 90s, he was being inked by, of all people, Bill Sienkiewicz, which gave it a really interesting look. <laughs> uh, Sal was inking himself sometime in that late eighties period where he kind of had more control over how the book looked. So, you know, Sal kind of gets a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of grief for being a plain artist, but sometimes you need that clear storytelling. So spectacular Spider-Man number one, if you don't have one, they're not that expensive. It's kind of a key in the bronze age. Should have one, go get one FOMO. No, I. This is this is definitely some some good storytelling. You can you can
1: pick it up cheap compared to, uh, you know, Amazing Spider-Man. You could probably pick up a run or or a number of issues in dollar bins. Um, definitely is worth reading and definitely worth collecting. There are some key issues in there, uh, as John mentioned. If you're a Cloak and Dagger fan, for example, it's 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 important that you own those those issues. Whether or not we'll see any real increase in value in the title, I'm I'm skeptical, but as a historical uh, artifact, I think this series is important. As, as John mentioned, it, it was the second uh, Spider-Man title. When you went to the comic book store, you bought ASM and then you bought Peter Parker too, because you wanted to read more Spider-Man. There was no, no such thing as too much Spider-Man back then. Um, and until Web of Spider Man came out later, uh, those really were
0: the two two books that you read if you wanted Spider Man. I think that's kind of what killed the uniqueness of it because then you had Web of Spider Man, you had the adjectiveless Spider Man, you had Sensational Spider Man, you had Aunt May's nephew Spider Man. I mean, there were just so many so many Spider titles that you know. You know it lost its kind of unique flavor but i love that book i love that first issue with the yellow background and the tarantula just like flying at spidey i remember buying that off the newsstand at lawson's
1: but that's you know that cover is a copy of a color cover from amazing spider-man i can't remember the exact issue 134
0: 134 okay Uh, i think of what you're thinking of right yeah
1: yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's um it's a little it's a little um derivative
0: don't harsh my mellow.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: I'll was your book of the week?
1: Okay, well, my my book of the week is of a more modern title. It's Champions Number One, the, the 2016 run. Um, this book came about because Kamala Khan, who is Ms. Marvel at the time and still is, uh, decided that she wanted to leave the Avengers and reform with uh, her friends, who are her her uh, similar in age. Now, so Kamala Khan is a teenager. Uh, she was in The Avengers with a pe- bunch of people much older than she was. And had they had different values and different ideas of what it meant to be a hero. And now we're not talking bad. It's just different. Uh, so she teamed up with, and, and it, to me, this is the kind of a, a laundry list of who you want to be uh, in, your ta- in your movie if you're looking for a teen movie based on new characters. You know, we had people like um, Nova, Sam Alexander. You had Miles Morales. You had Amadeus Cho as the Hulk, um, a teenage Cyclops, which I'm still kind of, Viv Vision, which was uh, the Vision's daughter. Uh, Later on, you had people like Gwenpool, Silk, uh, Mm -hmm. Ironheart. These are all, to me, if you're looking at teen characters for movies for Marvel in the future, these are the characters that you want to have. Um, So this, this book has all these characters in one team and if i had um if i was prompted by someone to ask what millennial team do i want to form for marvel it would
0: be this this team i think it's cool book i have to say no Herc, no champions sorry (laughs) yeah i was
1: afraid you were gonna say that uh yeah definitely not that champions team
0: i'm i'm kind of joking the original champions uh book in the 70s if you guys aren't familiar was just one of those weird hodgepodge books that was like it was hercules black widow angel iceman and what the hell, Ghost Rider. What <laughs> reason do these five characters have to be together other than to help meet a quarterly sales goal for Marvel? <laughs> there's no reason, but you know, I love me some Herc. So I just love the original champions, but there is a great champions cover in the run now that's that lenticular cover that has the original cover. And uh, oh yeah, it's it's good stuff. Oh God, lenticular covers. I I, I, I will withhold my comment on those. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they're uh, easy
0: nine point nines. Come on. Oh jeez.
1: <laughs> but this is a this is a book. Uh, you can still buy this book cheap. Uh, I just bought uh, five co- five copies for I think it was twenty bucks. Damn. I, yeah, really cheap. There are some variant covers. There's a one in one thousand variant cover that somebody in eBay is trying to sell for thousand dollars. Guide says it's more like three fifty. What would
0: you ordered a thousand units? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I know that's a good question. Uh, they sold over 350,000 of this book, um, but uh-huh. that's a lot of units to, to buy. Uh, and then there's a, a- Alex Ross version, uh, a variant cover with uh, them burning their, uh, her burning her Avengers m- membership card, which is really cool.
0: And we really cool. did it first.
1: <laughs> so it, yeah, people are, people are warming up to this book. I think there is a lot of room of growth. It's a good time to jump in. You can buy it cheap, put it, stock it away. That's what I'm doing. I'm buying copies, putting it in my long-term box. And we'll see what um, you know. The Marvel uh, MCU has multiple phases. We're only up to Phase Four. Um, we don't know what's coming in Five and Six. We don't even know what's in Four, to be honest with you. So, right. um, in the, in these phases, I could see these these characters being important characters, and this is their first appearance as a team. I think it's 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 a good spec buy.
0: Well, good. Now you've got your marching orders, everybody. So you know what to do in the next week. Um, Make a spreadsheet, <laughs> uh, make, pick your top 10 books, buy Champions number one, buy Spectacular Spider-Man number one. I don't know. Do what you want to do. Sell all <laughs> books, you can buy a truck, <laughs> yeah, but make sure you do the following. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bronze and Modern Gods. Give us a like and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube. We really appreciate it. Or if you're listening to the audio podcast, make sure you uh, give us a nice little rate and review. And we will love you for it. And that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, I'm John, and and that's Richard. That's Richard.
1: (laughs) Have a good week, everyone.
0: Bye-bye.